So, Matt, do you hear that scientists have actually grown human vocal cords now in a Petri dish? No kidding, really? Yeah, really. The the results speak for themselves. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I'm coming back. <laughs> that one I didn't see coming. Yeah, see, I'm on an uphill slide now. We're, we're doing better. They're growing. <laughs> All right, you ready All to right. do this? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right. How are you, Matt? I just realized that right as we started, I just did a big sniff right yeah. in the middle of the freaking intro. <laughs> <laughs> I was well, like, good luck editing that out, yeah. Adam. <laughs> good thing is it's not live. We can't edit it. So. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, this is why we don't do live broadcast yet, folks. Well, and you know, some of it is just we're we've gotten to the point now where you kind of forget that the mic is there, right? And you're not just being yourself. Yeah, and you know that's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just lucky he doesn't rip a big fart during the. <laughs> That'll happen that, that one day. That may happen. And I'm not it, editing it out. It may have already happened. Yeah. And we just edited it out. Yeah. <laughs> Next time, it's not being edited out. No. We're just... I'm going to boost the volume on it, in fact. <laughs> this is like, oh my God, they got a dragon in there. <laughs> yeah, right? What was that? All right, y'all. So wanted to real quick make a correction from the Monte Cristo episode. Um, thank you to Trudy, who messaged us and, and let us know that... I was a little off on my thinking of what squatters were. Squatters, actually, there were European settlers who rented the land from the government, and then they would have the land bought out from under them officially, in quotes, and they would get mad about that. So I was a little off on what I thought squatters were. We won't go into what I thought they were. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so that's the little correction right, right, as to right, what right. they were. No, no, no disrespect. We just didn't know the right. term... The term here means something different. Right, exactly. Um, we have a really long episode tonight, yep. um, so we're going to just real quickly say thank all of y'all for being awesome. We love you guys, and we appreciate it very much, and we're going to go ahead and get into it. So let's take a quick break, talk about our sponsors, and then we'll get right back into it. All right, Matt, so tell us about tonight's sponsor. Okay, tonight's sponsor is HelloFresh. And HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step -step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so that you can cook, eat, and enjoy. That's right. And it's really cool because you get seasonal, simple recipes with pre-measured ingredients that are delivered right to your door every week so you can enjoy cooking and sticking to your yearly goals if you have made any you know, food goals for 2019, making the New Year's resolutions, this can help out and make it easy. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of seasonal meals, uh, my Thanksgiving dinner this year 
came by HelloFresh. That's awesome. It was fantastic. It was delivered to the house. It was in insulated boxes. We had, you know, turkey. We had uh, all of the ingredients to make dressing, um, sweet potatoes. It was fantastic. You don't have to go fight the crowds at the store to buy all that stuff. You got it. It's amazing. You got it. So, as I said, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and easy-to-follow six-step pictured recipe cards. They're delivered to your door each week in a special insulated box. Right. And, you know, you can make family dinners that are fuss-free with, you know, everybody's got a picky eater in the family. Yeah. It guaranteed everybody has a picky eater in the family. And these have kid-tested and approved family plan recipes. And I can vouch for that. We made the sweet as honey chicken with green beans over jasmine rice. And Michael helped us make it. And he's seven. He he loved it. It was a fun way to do it. We didn't have to waste all the time. And he hates going to the grocery store. Yeah. Like we, we had to fight to get him to go to the grocery <laughs> store. So this was perfect for it because we got him in the kitchen. He made it one of his first times ever doing anything in the kitchen. And it turned out awesome that the the sweetest honey chicken was one of my favorites yeah and it's a great way to break the the chicken nugget cycle yeah no kidding <laughs> so you have three plans to choose from the classic veggie and family uh with the option to switch between for whenever your taste changes right and you can get that out of that recipe rut you can start cooking outside of your comfort zone and you can discover new recipes and i I consider myself a pretty good cook. Like yeah. I, I like getting in there and cooking, but we all know we have those recipes that we fall back on. Yeah, you know, everybody's you, got their go-to. Exactly. You get home from work, you're tired, and you're like, oh, crap, I'm just going to do this, and you make this. and you, So you end up eating the same recipes every week. It's like, well, this is the Monday recipe. Uh, this is the Tuesday recipe. With HelloFresh, you don't have to do that. It's all new. You don't have to worry about it. Just get the recipe, get the food, cook it. You'll love it. Right. And once you've done it, you've got the recipe card and you've you've already done it once. Exactly. So you know how to do it again. So if you find a meal that you really, really enjoy, you can always go back to it. Throw it back in the rotation. So take advantage of HelloFresh's special offer for 2019. Get $80 off your first month by going to HelloFresh.com slash graveyard 80 and enter graveyard 80 that's right so it's basically like you get 20 dollars off your first four boxes that's hellofresh.com slash graveyard 80 g-r-a-v-e-y-a-r-d and the number eight and zero enter the promo code graveyard 80 all right so adam what are we talking about tonight? Ooh, twist. All right. Tonight, we are talking about fey folk and fairies. We're going to discuss the fey tonight, y'all. Discuss the fey. Discuss the fey. <laughs> um, and that is not a, a cuss word, I promise. I'm not going to have to delete that out. Um, so this this encompasses a ton. So that's why we yes. said earlier that this was going to be a long episode. And trust us. If if you have some kind of fae or fairy fact 
that you've been sitting on for the last 15 years and you just wait till somebody starts talking about fairies so that you can drop it. Chances are we're not going to mention it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because there's so much. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we we could do two, three-part episodes on this and try to cover as much as possible. We just tried to collect a, a, a general understanding of the the lore and the history and yeah, you know, some really interesting uh uh interesting folklore i guess on different types and what they do and some that are dangerous and yep. how to interact so we wanted to make the show as interesting as possible without boring you to tears by going into the minutia of what fey and right. fairies and- are you remember cliff notes, right? Yeah. Well, we we do grave notes. They're, grave notes. That's what we are. We're the, we're the grave notes version of a, a topic. Yeah. Um, we literally could do a whole podcast just on Fey. Sure. Every episode was a different, you know, creature of the Fey. We could call it Fey Yard Tales. I've been thinking too much about this, um, but. We're not going to do that. Like Matt said, we're going to give a an <laughs> overview of as much as we can without putting y'all to sleep too much. So, yeah. you know, so we, we picked out the the most interesting nuggets. Right. Um, so like Matt said, there are so many accounts and theories and creatures that are lumped into fairy and the fae that we're probably not going to touch on a topic that you know, go ahead and you can tell us. Yeah, I mean, we want to know. Us, hit us up, whatever, but uh, don't be mad at us because we, we may skip something that you're like, but, but we know. We get we, it. We feel bad. <laughs> we, we do. We just, our voice would give out by the end of a 14 hour episode. Trust me, between myself and Adam and Lucy, we probably all read it. Right. <laughs> we found it at some point. Right. Um, so in the past 50 years, fairies have been commercialized and, quote, cartoonized. Um, I like that word. But the actual belief in fairies has been ongoing for thousands of years, if not longer. It, it's been around since probably the dawn of time. Now, a fairy is a type of mythical being or legendary creature that's usually in European folklore. That's the biggest focal point of it is they're, you know, Celtic, Slavic, German, English, or French folklore. And it's a form of spirit often described as metaphysical, supernatural, or preternatural. Um, And myths and stories about fairies don't have really a single origin but they're kind of a collection of folk beliefs from a lot of different sources and various folk theories about the origins of fairies include casting them as demoted angels, demons um, that are like demons in a Christian tradition. They're minor deities in pre-Christian pagan beliefs. Um, They're spirits of the dead, prehistoric precursors to humans or elementals. Yeah. And you know, Fairies have been depicted differently throughout time. And, mm-hmm. and as as history shows, 
the the idea of fairies, what they're capable of, are they beneficial, are they dangerous, are they even real? It has changed over the centuries. Mm-hmm. Um and and we're going to get into that a little bit. So uh all the way back into Christian mythology. I didn't even know that Christians had mythology, but I I guess they do. There's yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Of course. I don't know what I'm thinking. But I don't have the time either, man. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. So King James in his dissertation Demonology he stated that the term fairies refers to illusionary spirits or demonic entities that uh, prophesied to, consorted with, and transported the individuals that they served. Now, in medieval times, a witch or sorcerer who had contact uh, with a familiar spirit might receive these services. So, Adam mentioned demoted angels. So, I mean, we demoted that makes it sound so it's better than cast out i guess (laughs) we're sorry we're gonna have to (laughs) we're downsizing (laughs) you haven't you haven't been doing a good job at your present position so we need to demote you to manual labor so turn turn in your wings and report to the mailroom on monday yes so um a christian tenant held that fairies were a class of demoted angels now, one story describes a group of angels revolting, and yeah, they're revolting. Dang it, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they stink on ice. <laughs> and God ordered the gates of heaven shut. Now, those still in heaven remained angels. Those in hell became demons, and those caught in between became fairies. And this is not an uncommon belief that... Fairies exist somewhere in between heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And and that's it's not just, you know, here, but you will see that in fairy lore. Right. You know, if you start researching, you will see that's a commonality, that they live in the in-between right. spaces. Um, others wrote that some angels not being godly enough, yet not evil enough for hell... Now, those are the ones that heaven don't want me and hell thinks I'll take over. That's me. (laughs) I must be fake. The ones not evil enough for hell were thrown out of heaven. Now, this concept may explain the tradition of paying a tithe or tithe to hell. As fallen angels, although not quite devils, they could be viewed as subjects of Satan. Mm -hmm. Okay? So... If we can demote angels, then we can demote pagan deities as well. So one theory holds that fairies were originally worshipped as minor deities or gods, such as nymphs and tree spirits, and with the burgeoning predominance of the Christian church, reverence for these deities carried on. But in a dwelling state of perceived power, so, you know, the idea of, I'm going to worship this thing that I am believing has power right and can either do me harm or grant me good fortune or whatever a precautionary measure yeah you got it you know if i'm you know if i'm sitting there looking at something i'm like this thing can blink and kill me maybe yeah. i should worship it yeah, exactly <laughs> i'm going to make sure i'm on its good side that's right. i don't want to be on the naughty list of this thing that's right but you know we're going to get into that you know and fairies are big on 
disrespect, mm-hmm. you know, and it, 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 it plays a big role in, in how you are to interact with them. Our Southern charm will come in handy with the fairies. Yeah, <laughs> it will. <laughs> but many deprecated deities of older folklore and myth were repurposed as fairies in Victorian fiction. It says, uh, see the works of W.B. Yeats. For example, we've talked about him several times. He's like that. I just kind of read that out like it's footnote. I just read it. (laughs) (laughs) See the no, but uh, you know, yeah, you're right, Adam. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. He he he's cropped up in a lot of the stuff we've talked about. But he he always seems to play like a minor or background role. You know, right. He's never like the authority on anything. But he's got something to say about everything. Right. He's like, um. Now I just forgot dude's name. I'll think of it in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> He's just going to shout it out right in the middle of Yeah, right. We'll just be doing something else and I'll think yeah. about it. Uh, it. One of the old um, like philosophers that talked about, um, uh, there's people in the listening audience that are screaming, screaming his it? name. Uh, go on. I'll think about it. Okay. So, <laughs> so a recorded Christian belief around the 17th century cast all fairies as demons. So now, now they're, they're deities, they're pagans, they're angels. Now they're just all demons. Now this perspective grew more popular with the rise of Puritanism among the reformed church of England. The hobgoblin, once a friendly household spirit became classed as a wicked goblin. Dealing with fairies was considered a form of witchcraft and was punished as such. So we're going to talk about hobgoblins more a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, one belief holds that fairies were actually spirits of the dead. And this derived from many factors in common of various folklore and myths. Uh, same or similar tales of both ghosts and fairies, like the the Irish Sheeta, which is also the Banshee. Mm-hmm. Um there is the origin for their term for fairies um, lived around uh, ancient burial mounds. And it was deemed dangerous to eat food from fairyland and Hades. And the fact that the dead and fairies were depicted as living underground. So they became synonymous as far as their behavior and their actions. So, you know, a, a fairy sighting or an experience was synonymous with seeing the spirit of a dead relative. Right. And there's still legend today that uh, fae food is dangerous and they right. will always try to feed you something because it'll make you stay. That's that's right. And that's one of the, the precautionary things when it comes to dealing with fairies is that you never eat anything that a fairy gives you. You know, and that's that's the big the big reason is that you can become trapped, mm-hmm. you know, either in fairyland or trapped by the fairy that gave you the food. Right. Um, and then there's the idea of elementals. The, it's, the theory is that fairies were intelligent species different from human and angels. So here we are there in the in-between again. And so an alchemist, uh, Para, Paracelsus. Did I say that right? Yep. <laughs> Good job. Um, class gnomes and sylphs as elementals, meaning they're magical entities whose power comes from a particular force of nature, and they can exert power 
over this aspect of nature. So that's where you get, you know, water and fire and air fairies. And heart. Yeah. All of those things. <laughs> heart. What? It's the Captain Planet. Earth, fire, water, heart. Captain <laughs> Planet. He's a hero. Sorry. I, Captain, I think Captain Planet falls like between the the age I hit where I stopped watching cartoons and when Adam started. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Probably so. <laughs> I, I, I know who Captain Planet is. I can't say that I ever watched it. So. You, you missed out, man. I guess I did. I don't know. <laughs> All, <Okay. right. laughs> All right. All right. On that tangent. <laughs> So tell us a little bit more about what fairies can do, Adam. All right. So the label of fairy has been applied to specific magical creatures with human appearance, as Matt was talking about. But also, they a lot of them tended to be small in stature. They would have magical powers, and they had a penchant for trickery. And other times, it's been used to describe any magical creature, like Matt was talking about, goblins, gnomes. And then other times, it was the ethereal or like sprites. Yeah. You know, we, we will hear the term sprite kind of often, and I don't mean the soda. Right. I sent Adam a text today that said, never take directions from a pixie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just one of those little tips to live by. Yeah. I mean, don't do it. You'll, you'll end up in trouble. It's legit. They're tricksters. Right. You know, they'll, they'll lead you astray. Right. And- you know, and, and under that definition, my dad was a pixie because he would always tell me the wrong way to go. He'd get me lost. <laughs> this was before GPS. So he was just doing it to have fun. When people tell me now that they've gotten lost, I'm like, how? Right. <laughs> right. You're carrying a personal GPS in your pocket. Right. I mean, you and I drove around all over everywhere without GPS and we're still here. Right. We made it back home. That's right. So there was a time when belief in fairies was so common that most people didn't really like to mention them by name. So they usually referred to them by different names and they called them the little people, the hidden people or the hidden folk. Yeah. So that 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 will come back up kind of toward the end of this episode. So where do they live? Well, there's a lot of different places where they live, but we don't have like a lot of visual clues. We can't really look at something and say, oh, hey, that's where a fairy lives. Except there are things called ring forts, and there are more than 45,000 ring forts that have been documented throughout Northern Europe, but there's not a whole lot known about these ring forts. Now, like, this, is, this is more than like a, a circle of mushrooms in your yard. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that that's a fairy circle. Yeah. Um where apparently they dance and yeah, they dance. all that at night. You shouldn't dance in one. No, don't dance in one. Cuz fairies think that humans got no rhythm. Yeah. They 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 don't have a dancing bone in their body. <laughs> the fairies do though. But uh they they don't know hardly anything about the date who lived there or what the function of these ring fort structures were. So a, a ring fort, you ask, what is that? Well, it's a general term for basically a circular space, which could sometimes be raised above the surrounding ground. Other cases could be surrounded by a shallow ditch or some kind of marking in that sense. The ring of the ring forts was a boundary 
which encompassed the dwelling or a group of dwellings within. And the ditch that surrounded the fort would usually have been fortified by like a palisade of timber or a hedge or some kind of thick growth of trees or shrubs. Now, average ring fort is like 27 to 30 meters in diameter internally. And there's been some that have been as large as 75 meters in diameter. But not like we said, not a lot is known. So there's they're just kind of there. Right. They're just there. So there's the theory. It's like Stonehenge. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so there's the theory that these exist as the gateway to the realm of the fairies. And they're protected pieces of Irish history that very few people dare to disturb. There's accounts of missing livestock, people going into trances, people dying, and other misfortune involving these fairy forts that keep people away. And it keeps these forts protected and has for centuries. Yeah. And there's a belief that centuries ago that humans entered fairyland frequently either by mistake or by seeking it out. Right. And these ring forts could have been the human gateway. Right. Between the two worlds. And, you know, when we when we talk about fairyland, it sounds like we're talking about, you know, some failed theme park out in Arizona or something like that. But, <laughs> right. But we're not, and that's really what it's called. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but... It's the idea of that the fairy world exists on top of our right. human world. Another dimension. Yeah. It's that that we're we're it looks very similar and, and you might even be in fairyland and not even realize it because your surroundings are the same. Right. But they're different because the inhabitants are different. Right. And there's different energy and magic and things like that. And the idea that humans were able to cross over fairly freely, um, it was it was prevalent. Now, there's also an idea now that because of problems between humans and fairies, um, mostly because humans were causing problems for the fairies. We're jerks. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so I had just imagined there's some, there's going to be some alien species that's going to be going, man, these humans are terrible. Oh, sure. Why did we ever invite them? Sure. <laughs> Um, we try to eat everything the, yeah. we come in contact with. <laughs> they just use up it's everything. Like, oh, hey, look, you you look cute. You're probably tasty. Come yeah. here. Let me eat you. Yeah. And, you know, the big thing is, is fairies love nature mm-hmm. and despise anything that destroys or defiles nature. Right. And humans are very good at that. Oh, sure. So now it is believed that the fairies have put up a wall of protection between the human realm and the fairy realm that they can pass through but humans cannot or at least not as easily as we once did right it, it's it's like when they put that blockade up they basically wiped their their memory from our brains yeah so that at some point, you know, we just now think of them as folklore and legend, and we don't remember that there was a time when we interacted with them all the time. You know, and like Matt was saying, uh, you know, when we say fairy, the first thing that pops into everybody's mind is 
the fairy godmother, Tinkerbell, mm-hmm. something like that. But we have, man, I almost cussed. We have changed um, what what we think about when we say fairy. You know, it, it was a different, it wasn't the little, tiny little things flying with wings that sparkled mm-hmm. that went bing as it flew off and had a wand and all that. You know, there was the fae, fairies, were all sorts of things. And they, you know, they could look like us all the way up to, you know, the most hideous thing you've ever seen. Yeah. They'd be larger than us. Right. And way smaller than us. Right. You know, some had wings. Some looked more like garden gnomes. Mm -hmm. You know, some looked like, as Adam said, hideous, horrible beasts. Mm -hmm. Some were benevolent. You know, some not so nice. Yep. We're going to talk about those guys too. Um, yeah. So this the the concept of when you like Adam said when you say fairy, you know everybody has that preconceived notion because of the commercialization, the mm-hmm. cartoonization of what fairies really are. But hopefully, we're going to shed some light on that subject so that when you hear the term fairy or fay, you you have a different idea of what someone may be talking about. Exactly. Now, Matt, tell us how we can find the fae. How to find some fairies. We're going to talk about how you can seek out fairies, and it's not easy. And it's well, not crap. It's not really something that you do with your five senses. Reckless abandon? Yes. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> But you you don't you don't rely on your five senses to to see and interact with fairies. It's something that comes from within. Um, fairies are rarely seen, so someone seeking them out should not get discouraged. Oftentimes, a fairy experience is more of a feeling or a knowing, without visual confirmation. Sometimes you may hear laughter, singing tinkling of bells, or smell the scent of flowers when there are no flowers around. Those are all indicators that there is a fairy presence. Keep in mind that sounds a lot like other topics we've talked about where visually you're not going to see it. You might not see a ghost. You might interpret a a spirit by a sight, uh, by a sound or a smell or something. Right. And, you know, this is not uncommon from, you know, goosebumps and the hair raising up Mm -hmm, on the back of your mm -hmm. neck and that that just feeling of uneasy or dread when you're somewhere that's unfamiliar and you're wondering what's behind this door um you know you get that sense and maybe there is something there you can't see it hear it or touch it it could be you can you can experience it it's a feeling right it could be part of what we, our bodies still remember, that subconscious that we mm-hmm. still remember from when we did interact with them, it's like a sixth, seventh, or eighth sense. It's a preternatural sense that mm-hmm. we don't know we have and we can't tap into on under normal basis. That's right. That's right. So, as I mentioned before, fairies live in what is described as an in-between space. You know, it's in-between heaven and hell. And between times are really good for seeking fairies. So a lot of things that are between seem to be associated with fairies. So 
the between the between times are like the 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 change in seasons, you know, times of the year, um, you know, phases of the moon. You know, you're at an in-between time, you know, the the moon is full, the moon is waxing, whatever. Those in-between times are good times to seek fairies. You know, the the um the equinox, you know, there it's a it's a change in season. Also, right. an excellent time to to be out if if this is something that you want to do, to be out trying to have that experience with fairies. Um, the time between day and night, you know, twilight. So, you know, around that time, that is also called fairy time. Right. So that is the best time of day, um, to go out fairy hunting. Um, it's considered that this is the time when fairies can come halfway between our world and theirs. So that's when you're going to have that experience then. Between places are also very favorable for fairies. So crossing over streams or rivers, uh, between two trees or between two standing rocks, waterfalls, um, they're very good places to go if you're going to try to seek out fairies. Places that seem to have a magical energy to you are also quite good. So especially in nature, you know, I mean... I think everybody could say that at some point in their life, they have visited somewhere or they have gone somewhere where nature just seemed to speak to you, mm-hmm. where you were in awe of this is, you know, man had nothing to do with this. Right. This you is, just, this is how it is. You just stop and right. take it all in. Jaw is, a you know, drop to the floor and. Yeah. I mean. I've had a few of those. Like, I can remember being a an older teenager and being in the mountains and getting up early one morning and being the first one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the sun hasn't fully come up yet, and there's that, that fog mist that's over the mountains. And, and you walk out, and you just you feel the quiet. Right. You know, there's no sound. You know, there's no cars going. There's no people bustling around. Animals aren't awake and buzzing yet. And you just, you feel it. Right. You know, you're just like, wow. You know, that that would be considered magical to someone who um, is, is interested in seeking the fae. Yep. And I, I had a similar experience. We, uh, when I was in high school, we went to Yellowstone National Park. And we got up real early to take a hike. We were going to go up to this uh, waterfall. So we were walking and we were kind of walking through the woods and then it opened up into this clearing and you just looked out and it was just flat grassland and there was a stream coming through. There was a giant elk standing out there. You could see mountains in the background and just the sky. And it was one of those moments like you were talking about. It was just, it was so far out. You didn't hear cars. There were no planes. There was nothing. It was just nature for, you know, infinity. Mm Mm-hmm. For yeah. what my mind could wrap my wrap its head around, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and these are the places that you want to be if you want to seek out an interaction with fairies. Taking a nap is also a good way to invite fairies. In. <laughs> Taking a nap is good for everything. So. 
but that that time where you're you're waking up from a nap that that is when the chance if you ever will see a fairy that is your best chance that's usually when i'm mad though <laughs> i'm waking up from a nap but interesting enough that a, a lot of personal accounts of fairies do occur when someone says i had just woken up mhm and of course everybody will dismiss those as saying ah, you're dreaming you're yep. hypnagogic state right right but you know, most everyone will say, I knew I was awake because right. there was something going on that let me know that I was awake, just still kind of groggy and sleepy, and this is what I saw. And a lot of them have, they got something to do with your feet. I don't know, all these stories, <laughs> it's like, the, I woke up and there was this little little man and he was messing with my feet. So apparently all fairies are tiny podiatrists. Yeah. They're they're <laughs> real into pedicures. You know. now, now this is a side, but this make this is funny. Um, I used to work at a place where the podiatrist would come in and take care of people's feet mm -hmm. at like four o'clock in the morning. And of course I come in at work at eight and and I'm going and I go and see somebody and they're like, I woke up. Early, early this morning, there was this little man at the end of my bed messing with my feet. I think he was cutting my toenails. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fairy. Yeah, it's like, look, <laughs> Jim, you got to quit doing that, man. You're freaking people out. Come in at normal times. I get this, this idea. Is there's this fairy that has all these hoarded toenail clippings. And he's yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like the tooth fairy, but it's the toenail fairy. I was wondering... Every time I clip a toenail and it zings off, I can never find <laughs> That's it. That's why the toenail fairy I takes get it. it. Dang. <laughs> Makes sense now. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and lastly, <laughs> keep an open mind. Yeah, allow it to happen instead of trying to force it to happen. We say that so often in the graveyard. Keep an open mind. That's right. That's right. And And it's like, when you have this, if you have this idea, I'm going to go see a fairy. I'm going to go to this house. I'm going to see a ghost. Something's going to touch me. I'm going to be scared. It's probably not going to happen. Right. You know, you want it too bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but, you know, in the same respect, if you go, eh, this isn't real. Nothing's going to happen. I don't believe in this stuff. Then it's not. Right. It's not. I mean. You have to keep an open mind. You have to allow yourself to see with your mind's eye. Right. Or, or as some people, when they're talking about fairies, will say, you must see with your heart. Right. And I always interpret that as you must believe. You must believe in something that you don't fully understand in order to experience it. Yep. You've got to go through your life open to the opportunity to experience anything. That's right. That's right. And, you know, if you if you think this is a whole bunch of baloney, then it's, it's gonna, not it's not going to happen. It's going to be a whole bunch of baloney. It's going to be a baloney. You're going to always think it's baloney. You know, I do like baloney. I but like that's <laughs> fried up with a little cheese and mustard and pickle. But it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair, fairies like baloney. No, yeah. fairies don't like baloney. We're Southern. Sorry. Fried um, baloney sandwich. But but being open and receptive to a fairy encounter 
without actively trying is the best way to catch fairy activity. And you can bring offerings to fairies um, and that will help entice them. But we're going to get into more of that later. Right. Fairies, in order to interact with humans or in order to make their presence known, they have to get in that... I'm in fairyland, but I'm not in fairyland anymore. Right. And and that, again, the in-between. You know, fairies love the in-between. Um, but they have to abide by their laws. So these are the laws of the fae, or the laws of fairyland. Okay? Now, you're going to hear these, and you're going to be like, oh, Matt's got the laws of fairyland. <laughs> I'm telling you. These these aren't these aren't that strange. These aren't that strange. If you think about it, you know, it just seems like, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Right. Okay. Number one, do not harm others, including anything in nature, unless it cannot be avoided. Number two, do not lie, cheat or steal for these actions harm all. Number three. Do not initiate contact with humans unless the interaction has been thoroughly discussed with the council of elders and masters. Not that that one's a little <laughs> No lying, cheating and stealing. Sounds familiar, right? Right. Yeah. Those are bad, okay? Hey, I got a I got a council of masters I got to talk to. <laughs> I don't I don't. <laughs> I was like, "What?" And now uh, it, it, that's a lie. I broke one of the first rules. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, number four, guard the gates of fairyland from all invaders who come with ill will and malice. Number five, do not reveal fairy knowledge and secrets to those not worthy. And number six, it is forbidden to mistreat any wild animals, friendly astral creatures, humans, or each other, especially children. I mean, you know, hey, all good rules, with the exception of having to go see Adam's Council of Elders and Masters. You right. Know, the, the, these make a lot of sense. Right. You know, these sound these sound like things that humans would buy into. Right. Just, Probably wouldn't follow necessarily. No. Like, but they could say, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. Like we say all the time, we're jerks. <laughs> humans are jerks, man. As a rule. Yes. Yes. That's very true. OK, so. Fairies are different all over the world, and different fairies inhabit different parts of the world. So, Adam's going to discuss um, some fairies that we can find in in different regions, uh, different countries. Right. So, like Matt said, they're different all over, and these are not... I don't have a comprehensive list of every single one from every area, I've just got some of the more prevalent, the ones that, you know, if you're just kind of dabbling in looking up the Fae in these different regions that you will find. Um, so let's go to Ireland first. Now, the first one that we have is Banshees or the Banshida. We did a whole episode on that. So just go listen to that episode. I'm not going to waste your time uh, again talking about Banshees. I like the way Adam says the Banshida. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I've tried really hard on that one, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, your Gaelic is getting better. It, I mean, man, the more this we do, the the easier it comes. But come, hey, come St. Patrick's Day, me and you, man, we're we're gonna go out and we're gonna Gaelic up this town. That'll work. <laughs> Nashville won't know what hit him. <laughs> what the heck is that guy talking about over there? That weird cat, tattooed guy over I there. I think what? he thinks he's a leprechaun. <laughs> he does. <laughs> hey, come on by. Let's have a drink. So a close relative to what we know as leprechauns is the chloricon. Now, for hundreds of years, the chloricon have been said to guard wine cellars of those in Ireland who are nice and hospitable to other people. He looks a lot like his cousin, the leprechaun, but instead of wearing the green, he's seen usually wearing red, um, and he's almost always super drunk um it, drunk drunken fairy yeah so just picture matt it's like matt <laughs> <laughs> so those who are lucky enough to have a chloricon guarding their cellar they say they can be heard singing old irish tales and fables Listen, while they're man, working I, I got four daughters i got some fairy wings in the house. <laughs> you, I you, you do that. i guarantee it i guarantee it <laughs> <laughs> but if the chloricon finds out that you have been unfair or unkind or cheated a passerby, he will just wreak havoc on your wine stock and he will leave to never come back. So if you want a helper in your wine cellar, be a good person. That's right. <laughs> this is another episode of Don't Don't Be a Douche by Graveyard Tales. <laughs> Where you'll lose all your wine. Yeah, exactly. So another one in Ireland is the Dinshika, and I probably got that totally wrong, and I apologize. After Chloricon, I had my uh, ego up. I thought I could do it, <laughs> and then Dinshinka came around, and here we are. So this one appears in like a dwarfish size, and, and they are said to have the ability of shape-shifting into any form in order to avenge battered or harmed women these fairies are helpers for the ancient cattle goddess ain now ain was a woman who was hurt really badly and molested by a king in ancient times and she was said to she said to bestow guardianship over any women who are wronged throughout ireland now, some say you can still see her in her earliest forms roaming the fields with the cattle, waiting to pierce the heart of any Irish woman's tormentor. So the, I'm, I'm going to try it again, the Denshika was one that helps her out. Yeah. So it's a, uh, this one is a really good one, a protector of battered women. Um, now, ballybogs have been said throughout all the years in Ireland to be a protector of these gloomy peat bogs. You know, there's peat bogs all over Ireland. The bally bogs are the protectors of that. Um, they are usually covered in globs of mud, and they've got these ugly, round, gross-looking bodies. And, you know, they may not be the prettiest thing to see, but his whole purpose in life is for a noble cause. He guards all of the peat bogs in Ireland. 
And it's said that some of the mummified bodies in, that people find in these peat bogs in Ireland were actually placed there as a human sacrifice to appease the Ballybog fairies of ancient times. Mm. So that's, again, one of those um, the offerings that Matt will get into kind of toward the end. This is this is human sacrifice in order to appease the Ballybog. Yeah. Don't be uh, sacrificing your next-door neighbor to attract some fairies into your yard. No. That My wouldn't... flowers are looking pretty sad. I think I'm going to kill Joe next door. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I need throw, some fairies in here. Throw him in here and then help the bally bogs come. Yeah. You can use him as fertilizer. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, we, we all know that, but <laughs> you just said that publicly now, Matt. <laughs> now, now we know why Adam's got such a green thumb. <laughs> that also explains where the skulls came and, from and but the, shut up and the for sale sign next door <laughs> yeah, exactly and now the one on my front yard thanks matt <laughs> the next episode will be brought to you from behind bars so <laughs> tonight's sponsor is prison meals fort pillow prison tales yeah exactly <laughs> I've got two hots and a cot. I don't know. Or a hot. What? Eh, never mind. I don't I don't know jail lingo. Sorry. Um, so there, a dryad is also from Ireland. And a dryad you've probably heard of. It's a tree spirit that's usually found in the highest boughs of the trees. And they were thought to inhabit all of the trees in the Celtic countries at one point in time. But the dryads were based on the Druidic Order of the Celts. The Druidic Order was a religious group of priests and priestesses that inherited their knowledge of the other world from the Dryad fairies that lived in these 13 sacred Celtic trees. So even though they lived in all of the trees, there were 13 sacred trees that were basically the home of these Dryads. And that's spurred up that's how the uh, the druids got all their knowledge so now let's move to scotland um there's a legend in scotland of the brownie and the scottish brownie migrated to the u.s and canada with the scottish immigrants that that came so the fairy legend claims that brownies are small dwarf-like fairies that choose hard-working families one that's nice and, and polite to everybody, good-hearted people to live with and help in daily chores and farm duties. The brownies usually will live in warm homes, and they don't like domesticated cats. Nor so, do I. Nor do I. No, I know. <laughs> so, uh, brownies, y'all come on. Y'all can help me with daily chores. I'm I'm a nice dude, and I don't got cats. So, um, But there's also... Well-known fairy tales in Scotland of the Seely Court and its paradox, the Unseely Court. And these have been passed down through Scottish families probably since the Dark Ages. Now, these two groups of fairies are parallel opposites of each other. One would most likely not exist without the other, though. It's that yin and yang, good and evil thing. Um, the fairies that make up the Seely Court are benevolent to the Scottish people. They usually ride on the winds looking down at Scotland to find some sort of good deed to perform. It's been said that these heroic fairies have aided kind-hearted Scottish folk in the most desperate times of need. Now, the Unseelie Court acts as the antagonist 
in this story. These fairies were known to be malicious, and they would ride on the highest winds throughout the earth of the greatest storms, waging war against the good Seely Court fairies. So we see one of the first mentions of a not-so-good fairy race. Right, right, that they're not all these sweet little charming helpers that are going to help you wash the dishes and tend to the cows and, right. you know, it, it's torment like, your cat. Exactly. <laughs> it's like uh, everywhere else that, you know, good and bad, yin and yang. Right. Yeah. Why, why would Why would we believe that this unanimous good would exist without evil? Right. Right. It's almost like throughout all realms yeah. you can't have one without the other yeah. and there's a balancing act and when i say evil some of these are truly evil. they they will get evil um now let's jump over to england now the grant is this hairy gross looking horse-like being that has the ability like a human to walk and run on its hind legs and this is usually quite a sight to see and it scared a lot of English town folk when they caught a glimpse of this weird-looking, hairy thing during the Middle Ages. But the Grant's presence was merely to warn the town of an upcoming enemy or a catastrophe. And it's usually assumed that he was a good-natured fairy, although somewhat appalling to look at. He was known to run through towns and stir up the town's dogs and horses also as a means of warning the town folk. So if something bad were to happen, he would warn you so that you could deal with it in time. Mm -hmm. But really weird looking. I mean, yeah. just a hairy, upright running horse. But horses have a theme in how a lot of these fairies appear. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to see other fairies that have a horse appearance too. Right, right. Now, another one in England, we've touched on this one before, not really gone into it, but it's Will-O-Wisps or Will-O-The-Wisps. Um, they've also been called Elf Fire, Night Whispers, and Bobalongs. Now, they appear as orbs of light flickering and bobbing along in the distant meadows or shorelines. Will-O-Wisp are supposedly a beautiful and radiant sight. And they've inspired a lot of artists throughout the centuries. Sightings of Will-O-Wisp are still reported today, but a lot of people who see them don't recognize them as a fairy creature. They sometimes will call them aliens or ghosts. So Or lightning bugs. Or lightning bugs. <laughs> um, you know, or you get the scientific term where it's swamp gas. Swamp gas. <laughs> I knew it. Yep, here's our first uh, mention of swamp gas in this episode. Um, now, let's jump over to Italy. Now, the Monticello is a fairy that resembles a tiny monk. And this tiny monk is almost the Italian combination of the Irish Cluricon and Leprechaun in that the Monticello guards wine cellars but also guards a treasure. This treasure, it's been said, can only be acquired by stealing the Monticello's cloak. But if you decide to steal the cloak, he will eventually die because all of his energy is tied directly to his robes. 
So you can get his treasure, but in turn, you're going to kill him. So what's, oh, yeah. what's it worth to you? Now, the Orkuli, a malevolent and cannibalistic fairy, inhabits the tops of clouds over Italy's farmlands and waterways. They usually leave their homes only to grab a passing fairy or a human to consume if their own kind is harder to catch for dinner. So all they do, all they do is hunt fairies and humans. And so, eat them. And eat them. <laughs> They're one of the, like I was saying earlier, hey, you look, you look cute. Let me eat you. Come here. You know? <laughs> so let's jump over to Greece now. Now, the sylphs are the archetype, archetypal representation of the element of air. And they reside in the east. These fairies are human-like, but very, very tiny, and they bear wings. So here we get into what sounds like the what we know of today when we think fairy. Yeah, more like Tinkerbell. Exactly. Um, they're also known as air watchtowers or wind singers. And like Matt said, it, it think of Tinkerbell when you think of the, the sylphs because they're human-like, just real tiny with wings. Now, the Undines are the representation of the element water, and they reside in the south, usually, south of Greece. They appear as seahorse-like creatures, but possess human qualities in their faces. Now, when the Romans adopted the Greek pantheon into their culture, they also adopted the belief of the Undines, and eventually deified these fairies as demigods. I just pictured Adam's head on like a seahorse body. It's That's it. And it's, he's he's like rocking around, you know, no. ro- ro- you know, curling up that tail. Man, I, 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 would, a seahorse. I would be a killer seahorse, man. <laughs> Can you imagine a seahorse with gauged ears and an eyebrow ring? <laughs> he's bad. Yeah. He's bad Leroy yeah. seahorse. Tatted up seahorse, man. <laughs> uh, they're also known as sea guardians, water watchtowers, or sea sprites. So here again, we see the, the, <laughs> see the sea sprites. Um, so let's jump over to Poland real quick, real quick. Why not? The Polovics are goat-like creatures that bless the Polish farmlands with bountiful crops. And they usually do this in reward, uh, for a reward at the end of the harvest. If the harvest is so plentiful that the farmer cannot reap it all, the Polovics will swoop down from the winds and take what's left over for themselves. But sometimes the reward for the Polovic outweighs their blessings on a farmer's land. There is an old superstition that greedy Polovics pass over the Polish farms that use sickles to harvest their crops. And this is why in modern times the sickle is hung over the front door to ward off any greedy Polovics that have no reward to reap. So, go to the European Alps here. In the European Alps live the villas. And this is a just gorgeous guardian fairy of the mountains. Any men who come across a villa while in the Alps will fall madly in love and long to be with her forever. However, villas have no interest in any mortal men. So, the men will go on trying and trying to get her and loving her and everything. 
but to no avail. Although they have no romantic interest in humans, they have been rumored to aid hikers in times of need, during avalanches or when hikers lose their way in the snowy regions of the Alps. Villas have also been called mountain nymphs. They could also be a version or kin to snow fairies, and they're usually... The snow fairies are usually found throughout the rest of the world, so they kind of think they're some relation to that, but they only live in the European Alps. And most of the ones that I've talked about have been nice. Yeah. Barring a couple. Friendly fairies. Right, barring a couple. Now, Matt, let's talk about the bad ones. Yeah. I know you've got some stuff on the bad ones. Well, yeah, we've we've got some stuff on some bad bad dudes as far as uh as far as bad fairies go now these are these are predominantly celtic fae that uh should be avoided at all cost now the first one we're going to talk about is bug arts and i and i think i'm saying that correctly i'm i'm saying it like i was in harry potter so there you go if you if you're a fan of harry potter then you've heard the term bug art before um you know, in, in the Harry Potter world, uh, they're creatures that um, they embody someone's worst fear. Right. So no one really knows what they look like because they always look like what you're terrified of. You know, if you remember um, Ron Weasley, um, he was afraid of spiders. Mm-hmm. And so the bug art always appeared as a spider to him. So that's the idea, but how would it represent falling? Because mine is like fear of heights. That's what I I'm most you, afraid of. Yeah, I don't know. Like you just start falling a big cliff that yeah. I'm always teetering on per, the edge of. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, you know, but something like that. I would but, pee myself. But in the in the Scottish folklore, this entity is closely related to the goblin. Uh, I'm sorry, not the goblin, the gremlin. Now, everybody remembers gremlins are the, the small, mischievous creatures that just wreak havoc on your homestead. Don't feed them after midnight. Don't, yeah, yeah. Don't get them wet. That's right. So, in northern England, bug arts are called, the, they're called a badfoot or a hobgoblin. And so, there's that term again. And you can see through history, you know, the hobgoblin was... A beneficial thing to have in your home, and now it's changed, and now hobgoblins are mischief makers, and, and you, you know they're they're unwanted creatures. They went now, from Dolby to this, yeah, yeah, pretty much <laughs> to keep the know. Harry Potter thing. So they're short and ugly, and they work at night mainly to terrify children. Okay, so like, not 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 so bad. Kind of like me, yeah, not so bad. Now the next one is the the Kushi. Now, the Kushi is an enormous dark green hound that hunts at night for human women to become nursemaids for fairy children. Bounty hunter. Yeah, pretty so much. Literally dog the bounty dog. hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's, pre- it's pretty accurate, you know. Um, but yeah, the... the 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 kushi would uh yeah they would they would wait in in the bushes um especially on the sides of like you know darkened roads and things like that 
waiting for human women to come and them to attack. Right. Yeah. So the next one, and we talked about the horses. Um, the next one is the, the each usage. And the each usage is the most dangerous of all of the fairy water horses. And yes, there's more than one yes, fairy, fairy water horse. But this water horse of the Scottish Highlands appears as a beautiful wild horse who seems tame enough to let you ride it. Sometimes it will appear as a handsome young man, but for the most part, it appears as a horse, and should a human mount the horse, it will immediately dive into the water, drowning its rider. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, you know, you jump on, you're like, giddy up. <laughs> yeah, dead. You're, you're under the water, and you're dying. Good grief. Yeah. I don't know if you heard Dallas squeak his toy just yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> It was almost weird timing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dow. Yeah. Not buddy. Now, the next one is goblins. Now, goblins are malicious spirits, and they have origins in the Pyrenees Mountains. Now, goblins made their way down into France and eventually into Britain. Because of their mischievous nature, other odd spirits, which are what goblins are referred to, odd spirits, um, will not allow goblins in their areas because of the trouble they cause. I mean, this is like, you know, oh man, what, what, you know, prisoners, what, what'd you, what'd you get in here for? Yeah. Oh man, you, we, we don't want this guy. You stay out of my area. He's trouble. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the bad guys like, don't want these bad guys because they're too bad. It's like West Side Story. The two fighting, <laughs> yeah. dancing gangs. Sorry. The, yeah, the jets and uh, sharks. The sharks. Yes. That's it. God, we're we're dumb. We got a new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got your Adam Seeker show tunes. No, no, you don't. <laughs> now goblins are most active at night, causing nightmares, blowing dirt into people's eyes, or hiding things. Goblins usually inhabit abandoned houses, the twisted roots of trees. Or piles of rocks. They can easily communicate with flies, wasps, hornets, and mosquitoes, and often send them to annoy humans. It's said if you hear a high-pitched scream coming from the woods at night, then a goblin is near. Or, or a fox. Or a fox. You know, or a peacock. Right. <laughs> What's a peacock doing in the woods? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I see. I saw. I was. I saw a peacock crossing the road just in a neighborhood one day. That, yeah, that I. I used to live near people who had peacocks, and they just let them roam. Yeah, you know, they just they're like what? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you guess, thought I saw a unicorn walking yeah. in front. I was like, what? Sorry, I'm late for work, boss. There was a peacock. There was in the a road. peacock in the road. So now, let's talk about the leshy. Now, the leshy. Uh, are primarily found in the Slavic and Russian territories. Now, leshies have the body of a human, but the horns, ears, and legs of a goat. They are typically active around dusk during the spring and summer months. Now, those who have witnessed a leshy say that they have blue skin and green hair. Leshies who dwell near water will look for humans who unwittingly wander into the area and try to lure them into the water to drown them. So, 
if you go to visit Scotland, don't go swimming. Yeah, stay away from the water. Stay away from the water. There is so much going on in the water in Scotland. Right. I mean, how many stories can we have about something living in some body of water in Scotland? And trying to drown you. And Yeah, well, yeah, trying to drown you. Good grief. <laughs> now, we're going to move south in Scotland to the border between Scotland and England. Along this border, you will find red caps who... Adam and I have talked about in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Now, not the Red Hat Society. Not the Red Hat thing. Society, That's which is thing. the discussion Amanda and I had the other <laughs> night. <laughs> when I'm trying to tell her that these red caps are fairies, and I kept saying red hats, and she was like, You mean the little women that wear the hat? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think you texted me no, that at one point. I did, you said the I red did. hats. I kept calling them red hats forever, and I was like, Why? Why can't I say red cap? But <laughs> but but we did talk about these on a previous episode, and they they are known to inhabit the border between England and Scotland because they live in the abandoned castles right. that populate that area. Now, if you remember from the other episode, the red caps get their name because of the cool little red cap that they wear, stained red. Because it's drenched in human blood. The blood of its enemies. (laughs) Or the blood of anybody just walking by. Valid. Valid point. It doesn't matter. I got nothing against you. I just need your blood (laughs) to keep my hat wet. Exactly. So the red cap has to keep his hat soaked in blood. Because if it dries out, the red cap will die. Mm -hmm. So why they live in abandoned castles, I don't really get it. I mean, how many victims can they reasonably get? By living in an abandoned castle. And, you know, a human's got a lot of blood, so it, it'll last a you while. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, they can save it up. Or and something. just go dip it in every now and then. <laughs> but at the time we discussed red caps, I wasn't aware that red caps were also considered fairy mm-hmm. or part of the Celtic fae. Now, now the next one, Adam and I, we, we talked about this before the show. We could do an entire show on these things. And we may. And we may. But... These are the Kelpies. Now, you may have heard that term before, and you just weren't 100% sure what they are. Kelpies are yet another fairy water horse. They actually appear as a white horse with a foamy mane. It can also take on a semi-human form with what's described as sea witch hair. I don't know what sea witch is. Hair is. I get this idea that your hair is looks like seaweed or something, maybe. It, probably so. Or like the sea hag from Popeye cartoons, yeah. you know, something yep. like that. But the Kelpies, they, they will howl before a storm. Now, in their semi-human form, they wait in the bushes. Man, these all these things wait in bushes for unsuspecting humans to pass by. Then they come up behind them, grab them, and try to wrestle them in the water. Now, in their horse form, they are considered most dangerous to children, and they appear beautiful and tame, and they entice children to pet or attempt to ride it. Now, once mounted, the Kelpie will become very sticky, preventing the rider from escaping. It will then drag its victim into the water where it devours it, leaving its remains at the water's edge. Kelpies are also, also uh, can't talk. Kelpies are often considered to be synonymous with the each usage, 
but according to Scottish lore, Kelpies reside at the water's edge, while the each usage are actually water dwellers. So okay. one lives around the water, one lives in the water. Like aquatic and amphibian. Yeah, both pretty dangerous. Don't try to ride a horse that comes out of the water. Right, because it's a it's a flypaper horse that will eat That's you. That's exactly right. All right. The next one is the Lenan Shi. Now, the Lenan Shi are vampiric female fae. They prey on young, helpless men, seducing them into falling in love with them, almost like a siren. Now, reportedly, the Lenan Shi live on the Isle of Man, disguising themselves as beautiful young women. Now, once the victim is under the Lenan Shi's spell, the fae will gradually drain the young man of his life force. Now it sounds like a succubus. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, should the magic fail, she will viciously attack and strangle her victim. Then she will drain his blood, keeping it in a boiling cauldron, which serves as the source for the Lanan Shi's power. Crazy lady. I'm telling you, they, <laughs> they're, they're getting worse, they man. They are, man. You know, hey, this one's causing nightmares. This one's going to, you know, stick to your kids and drag them under the water. Mm-hmm. Now, this one's going to take your grown son and drain his blood and boil it. In and the boil it. Yeah. <laughs> Make blood stew. Ugh. Now, this next one I thought was cool because I had never heard this before. And I'm not sure if you had heard it either, but I guarantee you this, these next fay, you know very well. Mm-hmm. They are called the Dulahan. Now, you may not know the Dulahan by name, but you most definitely know its form. Much like the Banshee, this fay is a foreteller of death, appearing as a headless rider atop a massive black horse, carrying its severed head under one arm. And yes, this is Ichabod's crane, nightmarish pursuer in the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. So, the headless horseman is a Dulahan. Yeah, and I and when you told me that, I did not know that that was considered fae. Right. I thought it was its own legend. That's right. But it was a legend that was carried over. Um, it was a Celtic legend, you know, because when um, when Sleepy Hollow, when the legend of Sleepy Hollow was written, you know, it's essentially, you know, we're we're still in, you know. It's not colonial anymore, but I mean, we're not far from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so there's a lot of, everybody is still with ties to, you know, their home of sure. origin, you know, and, you know, in England and Scotland and, and Ireland, they held to a lot of these legends, these, these new world settlers. And, you know, there were still m- massive moves of people from Europe you know, into America. Right. And it reflects in the literature. And, you know, over the centuries, people, they they don't understand what was behind, you know, the, the literature of the day. Mm-hmm. But when you dig a little deeper, you find out, hey, the legend of Sleepy Hollow takes its roots from an old Celtic fey legend. Right. And it, you'd be amazed how often that happens, how often we know something today, but we don't know where it came from. That's right. 
That's right. Now, it is said that if you hear the hear loud hoofbeats rushing through the streets at night, it is a Dullahan warning of impending death. Once seen, the only defense against the Dullahan is an item of pure gold. Wait. And that that's all I got. I don't know what it has to be or why pure gold. But that's just, this is the way it is. You know, pure gold will protect you from the Dulon. Well, Maybe it, you got to give it to them. Uh, it's this one gold tooth. And I got right here. That's why I got it. That pumpkin with the one gold tooth. <laughs> right. You know. Now, I saved one of the most interesting for last. The Nukalavi. Now, the Nukalavi are considered. I'm proud of you for that one, for pronouncing <laughs> that one right. I've got it written phonetically. <laughs> uh, they are considered. The most horrifying of all Scottish monsters. The Nukalavi appear as a horse and rider, but in truth, it is a half man, half horse creature. Not to be confused with a centaur, the Nukalavi has a full horse head and body with only the torso, arms, and head of a man, as if the rider's legs have fused to the horse's body. Icky. Yeah. And if that wasn't bad enough, they are skinless with tendon and muscle fully exposed. Double icky. Yeah. The Nukalavi's only goal seems to cause suffering, often blamed for disaster, drought, and disease. Man. Man. <laughs> that was the reaction I was wanting. Yeah. that It's gross. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's... It's known that in you know especially in in Scotland and Ireland and and parts of England that legends and stories were developed to explain things that happened. Ah, you know, I I lost my job or my cow died or my horse is lame or my son is sick. Mhm. I I must have angered the fairies somehow. Right. My my son or daughter drowned in the lake. Well, it must have been the Kelpies. Right. And there was a lot that was done to appease the fairies or the fae because you wanted to avoid things like, you know, mischievous fairies stealing your your precious valuables or taking your food or making your child sick or ruining your crops or causing a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, so there were a lot of steps made to protect oneself from the fae. Right. And one thing that horrified parents uh, in in early Europe, and especially in Scotland and Ireland, was the idea that if you disrespected fairies, that they would come and swap out one of their disfigured, ill children for yours. Right. Yeah. And these were called changelings. So I'm going to share an old Irish legend about the changeling, and Adam is going to... go into a little bit more detail on what changelings are. There was a woman who on All Souls' Eve neglected to leave her door open 
and forgot to leave food or drink on the table. The next day, she noticed something strange about her twin children. They were not eating or drinking, and their features had changed. They looked evil. She began to believe that the fairies were playing a trick on her. Suddenly, a knock came at the door. It was a man she had never met. The man said, I'm a tailor, going around looking for work. The woman told him he was very welcome and invited him inside for something to eat. The woman asked if the tailor would tend to the children while she went into town to purchase some cloth. She wanted him to make some garments for the twins. He agreed. No sooner had the woman left than the children jumped out of their cradles and began to create all kinds of mischief in the kitchen. They threw the pots and pans, danced on the table, and one took a fiddle and began to play music. The poor tailor was frightened, worried that something would happen to the children. When the woman returned, the tailor told her what had happened. The woman said, I knew there was something wrong. The fairies have come and left two changelings in the place of my sweet twins. The woman explained to the tailor that she had not gone to buy cloth, but to meet with a priest because of her suspicion that her children had been swapped. Per the priest's instructions, the woman told the tailor to take the cover of the pot and put it in the fire until it was red hot. When the lid was glowing red, the woman told the tailor to take it out with the tongs and place it over the children in the cradle. The tailor did as the woman said, and just as the cover came down, the children flew out of the cradle and up the chimney. At the stroke of midnight, the twins were found back in their cradle, safe and sound. So that is, is an old, old legend of the changelings. So Adam, tell us a little bit more about changelings. All right. So. Like Matt said, changelings were something that people feared a lot. And there were a lot of different ways that you might have your children swapped out for changelings. But th there was talk that apparently all over Ireland, fairy women had trouble giving birth. And many fairy children would die actually before birth. But those that did survive were often stunted and deformed-looking creatures, like Matt had talked about. And the adults hated to look at these children. So they would try to exchange them with healthy children from our world. All of these are known as changelings, and they possess the power to work evil in a household. Any child who is not baptized or who is overly admired is especially at risk of becoming exchanged. Now, quote, it is their temperament, however, which most marks the changeling. Babies are generally joyful and pleasant. Well, not the ones I've met, but, but, the, fairy, <laughs> but the fairies will substitute. The fairy substitute is never happy except when some calamity befalls the household. For the most part, it howls and screeches throughout the waking hours, and the sound and frequency of its yells often transcend the bounds of mortal endurance. So that's saying it will cry constantly, and it will be a cry unlike humans can stand. It's just one that 
drive you to insanity, which again, that's just babies. <laughs> to me, that's just a baby. <laughs> now, a changeling... He's not lying. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, a changeling can be one of three different types. It can be actual fairy children. It can be what's called senile fairies. Senile fairies. They, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I, I've I read that they, they will take, like, old, like, crippled fairies. Yeah. You know, not necessarily, you know, unhealthy young fairies. Right. Just to kind of thin the herd a little bit. Right. And they will disguise them as children or inanimate objects, such as pieces of wood, which take on the appearance of a child through fairy magic. Now, the last type there is known as a stock. So it's not an actual fairy. They they would say it's a stock and just animated through fairy magic. Yeah. Pinocchio. Right. <laughs> no, not Pinocchio. <laughs> so puckered features coupled with yellow parchment-like skin are all generic changeling attributes. Now, the fairy will also exhibit very dark eyes, which betray a wisdom far older than its years. And changelings display other characteristics, usually physical deformities like a crooked back or a lame hand. Now, about two weeks after their arrival in the human household, changelings will also exhibit a full set of teeth, legs as thin as chicken bones, and hands which are curved and crooked like bird talons, and they'll be covered with light downy hair all over their bodies. Now, no luck will come to a family when a changeling is there because these, creature, these creatures drain away all the good fortune from the family. So those who are cursed usually tend to be very poor, and they struggle desperately to maintain this ravenous monster in their midst. Now, one positive feature which this fairy may demonstrate, is its aptitude for music. Yeah, it, we got a baby playing a fiddle. Exactly. So as it begins to grow, the changeling may take up an instrument, often the fiddle or the Irish pipes, and it plays with such skill that all who hear it will be entranced. Changelings have a crazy appetite, and they'll eat anything that's set before them. The changeling will have teeth and claws, and it doesn't take the breast like a human infant, but it eats food from the pantry. So you won't be able to get it to drink milk. It, it's going for your hamburgers and, and your steaks. That's what it wants. Imagine a baby sitting there in a diaper, you know, Just chowing down on a gnawing steak. Gnawing on a steak bone. <laughs> you know, when, when the creature is finished with each meal, it will demand more. Changelings have been known to eat the cupboard bare and still not be satisfied. But no matter how much it devours, it will always remain scrawny. Now, changelings don't normally live long in the mortal world. They usually shrivel up and die within the first two or three years of their human existence. The changeling is mourned and buried, but if its grave is ever disturbed, all that will be found is a blackened twig or a piece of bog oak where the body of the infant should be. There can also be adult changelings. These fairy doubles will exactly resemble the person taken, but with usually a really bad disposition. The double 
will be cold and aloof and take no interest in friends or family. It will also be argumentative and scolding. As with an infant, a marked personality change is a strong indication of an adult changeling. Now, changelings may be driven from a house. Usually when this is achieved, the child or adult will invariably be returned unharmed, like in the tale Matt told. Now, the least severe method of expulsion is to trick the fairy into revealing its true age. Another method is to force tea made from foxglove down the throat of an unsuspected changeling, burning out its human entrails and forcing it to flee back to the fairy realm. Heat and fire are anathema to the changeling, and it will fly away. Yeah. So that's why in the tale that Matt told, the priest told her to put the really hot lid over the kids because it would burn them out. Right. So Matt has mentioned previously and teased to this, but there are certain offerings that you need to leave out to make the fae happy. Yeah. So there are sometimes when you you must do things like all souls eve you know you you must leave your door open you must leave fresh water and food out for the fairies or else it's a sign of disrespect and it leaves you open to receiving a changeling um or you know some other calamity you know befalling your house that's caused by the fairies right but sometimes you want to leave offerings to invite fairies in because much like the brownies, they're very helpful. You know, they're they're benevolent, they're they're friendly, they're kind, and they're they're there to assist humankind. So when you do this, you must do it correctly because you mustn't either anger or disrespect the fairies. So that's what I want when I go to a restaurant. Yeah. You know, bring me my food, my my offering. Yeah. You know, in the right way. Don't anger me. Sorry. <laughs> Give him fresh water. Right, exactly. But providing an offering or gift to fairies is one of the most effective ways to invite a fairy into your life. Now, any offering that you leave for the fairies must be done foremost with respect. If the fairies feel like a gift is offered without the proper respect, they will ignore it or worse cause mischief instead. Now, gifts of food are most common. Fresh water and baked bread are very pleasing to the fairies. Now, store-bought foods are okay, but you must ensure that they are all natural without preservatives. Gifts of food, if not baked specifically for the offering, should be from the first serving. Leftovers are considered an afterthought and it's considered very disrespectful to the fae. Burning candles and incense are also good offerings for fairies. The incense should be all natural without chemicals. Now, dried herbs can be used to make your own incense as well, and beeswax candles are most favorable. So if you're musically inclined and you can play an instrument, song is an excellent gift. Some have experienced inspiration while playing, as the words and notes seem to come all on their own. Now, this is where fairies are sharing their gift with you. 
dancing in nature along with music is considered one of the purest gifts for the faith. Hmm. So it's said that, you know, dancing on a warm summer day out in nature, you can almost ensure that the fairies will be dancing with you. But don't dance inside a fairy circle, right. which is the, the, the circle of mushrooms that we mentioned earlier in the show, or, or a circular patch of dark grass, because that's their dance floor. Right. And they don't need you trampling around on it. No. Now, if you want to go dance over there, we like that. Just, you stay there, we'll come to you, you don't mm-hmm. come to us. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the fairy way. Um, coins, jewelry, or shiny objects also make good offerings. However, one must, be, one must be careful that the gift was created in a pure and natural way. Flowers are good gifts for fairies, but they should be collected naturally and with respect. Store-bought flowers are very poor offerings, as they are often imported from countries with very poor working conditions. Now, gifts of flowers should be picked from renewable sources or grown specifically as offerings to the fairies. So, that respect for nature is very, very important. So, if you if you show disrespect or if you offer a gift that came from a situation that would be harmful to nature, then the fairies will reject it. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. And, and like you said, if they, if they reject your offering, it, it may cause them to do more than just ignore you, but it may cause them to actually do something to you. Mm -hmm. So, um, if you want to do this, you, you do have to do it the right way and you have to be careful about what you offer. So there are some things to absolutely avoid, to never offer to the Fae. Glitter. <laughs> Which, you know, glitter and fairies seems pretty synonymous. Yeah, man. I told Ashley over Christmas because she was decorating the tree and there was some things that she put up that had glitter on them. Uh-huh. And I said, that glitter is the worst. It's the herpes of the craft world because you can never get rid of it. <laughs> Once it's there, you can never get rid of it. Yeah, you're right. You're I still right about that. have a piece of glitter on my cheek from December 23rd that got on there, and I've washed my face hundreds of times since then, and it's still freaking there. <laughs> freaking glitter. Why, why would fairies not like glitter, though? Same reason. Same reason. No. <laughs> Actually, it's because most glitter is made from aluminum or plastic and can be very harmful to the environment. Fairies love nature and despise any act they perceive as harmful. Chocolate. Don't give a fairy chocolate. Because if you give a fairy chocolate, he's going to want a glass of milk. No, wait, that's a different story. <laughs> no, chocolate, chocolate is quite toxic to most animals and should be avoided as an offering. And it should also be left out of any baked good. Um... As offerings as well. So no chocolate chip cookies, you know, no no chocolate cake or anything like that. That's how I know I'm not part fae. <laughs> I love me some chocolate. Yeah. So so just avoid chocolate as offerings. Neglected shrines are also things to avoid. So 
I think, you know, most people have seen this. People will have like a, a stump in their garden um, or a little stand that's got a little fairy house on it or something like that. Right. You know, that's a fairy shrine. Now, these are the areas where the offerings should be left, but they should be well-maintained and kept clean. So any food offering should be cleared the next day. If incense or candles are used, leftover wax and ash should also be cleaned up. Now, failure to maintain such shrines invites negative spirits. So, you know, you got some trashy looking shrine out there in your mm-hmm. garden. You're you're going to be bringing about something that you probably don't want. Right. And so that goes along with, even though you might think it's cool, don't get one of those wax drip candles to run down the side of the stump and create all those cool little colors like right. you would do the wine right. bottle. They don't like that. Now, fairies don't like that because you need to keep it clean. Right. Crystals. Now, even though crystals are considered uh, uh, favorable to that lady down the street who fancies herself a witch or the gentleman who offers you a crystal talisman for good fortune, they do not make very good offerings for fairies. Crystals can affect the natural energy around a shrine and can actually work to drive fairies away instead of inviting them. So those are just some tips on... You know, if you want to make offerings to the fairies, you know, how to do it, what to avoid doing, and, you know, first of all, show respect. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about legends of the fae and fairies um, that date back centuries. But as Adam mentioned, there are modern day experiences and sightings of fairies mm-hmm. and one that I found and I, I told Adam this, I actually, I found this story early on in our research and I thought it was cool and I wanted to verify that it wasn't just somebody making up a story. So as I went and researched it, I found another source that had the exact same story and then i was actually able to find a video interview of the gentleman who shared this story and he seems like a totally normal guy this is one of the most verified stories in graveyard tales history (laughs) that's right and it's a fairy encounter story the only way it could be more is if we had this guy here in the graveyard with us now well matt guess what (laughs) On the line, we have... No, we don't. Uh, (laughs) This story comes from Steve O'Dell, who is a construction worker from Glasgow. Now, he relates his interesting encounter on Shehalian, known to the locals as Fairy Hill. Now, Steve explains that as he was walking along Fairy Hill around 4 or 5 o'clock in the evening... He had an experience that he really couldn't explain. He says it was very calm and peaceful with the evening dew appearing on the grass. This created kind of a dew vapor rising up from the ground. Now the sun setting behind him formed a rainbow over the mountain. And he recalls the sound of a nearby stream and thinking, you know, hey, this is, this is really nice. And that he was very blessed to be there at that time. Now, he says right around then, he thought he could hear music, sort of an Irish harp music 
faintly on the breeze. Then he noticed some movement along the ground. As he looked down, he says there was a little man standing in front of him, rolling his shadow up into a tube, working from the head of the shadow down. So he's, it's like it's a poster and he's rolling it up. And shocked, he looked at the man who didn't notice him, but turned his gaze towards Steve's feet. Now, when Steve looked down, he noticed the little man had a female counterpart. And she held in her hand a pair of silver shears or scissors, and she was furiously working, snipping around his feet as if to cut his shadow away from him. Now, Steve says in surprise, he just called out, Oi! And the little people stopped what they were doing and looked up at him. Then, in a flash, they disappeared. Now, and his shadow unrolled. And <laughs> it went. <laughs> so you're out walking, you're taking a hike, and you're like, man, this is really great. And you look down, and there is a fairy trying to cut your shadow off of you and walk away with it. Yeah, that thing, that thing would have gotten smacked. <laughs> I wouldn't have yelled, oi, I'd have been smacking it with a stick or something. Now, you know, the story goes on, and Steve goes on to explain, you know, what they, what they look like. He, he says, you know, they, they were small. You know, they they had facial hair, not necessarily a full beard, but even the female had facial hair that you could see. He said they were they were dressed similar to brownies, uh, but they had very tan skin. And if you can find this video, and I'll I'll try and and we can post a link to it. Um, Steve seems like an absolute normal guy. He doesn't look like he's looking for attention. He doesn't look like somebody who's dreaming it up. He might be. But, you know, this story, you know, I, like I said, I found it several times and then actually heard Steve's telling of it. And it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's just one of those, you're like, wow. I mean, what else can you say? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, but wow. Yeah. But it just goes to show that these aren't just century-old stories, that there are stories even now where people experience fairy encounters. Oh, absolutely. And even in the modern day, people still take into account fairies and the fae in what they do in their normal lives. Isn't mm-hmm. that right? They really do. And in Iceland, we've seen a lot of changes that have been made because of the fae. We talked about the hidden folk being one of the names for the fae, and elves are known as the hidden folk, and they are part of the fae. Now, many, many people in Iceland actually believe in elves. They've done a lot of things over the years to protect the nation's elves or just to benefit them in some way. And according to Icelandic history, elves have been around since Vikings first landed on the island in 1000 AD. And they're not just tree dwellers or little people. The legend states that they are similar to humans. They wear 17th century clothing. They tend to livestock. They pick berries and they go to church on Sundays. So they lead a life very much like a human life, just in a different plane. Now, there's a rock that's known literally as Elf Hill, 
and it's caused the longest continuous streak of trouble for road construction crews and the Icelandic government. Back in the 1930s, long before the location had a relatively sizable population, the government was trying to connect... Man, I should have practiced this word more. (laughs) Kopavogar and Reykjavik. I know how to say Reykjavik. But the Elf Hill made sure that this didn't happen. A road between the two towns was drawn up. Plans took the road straight through the giant rock, and naturally, it was up to to the construction company to break and move it. Now, unfortunately for the company, the rock that they were talking about was Elf Hill, and it proved too difficult to deal with. Construction funds dried up and the plan was abandoned because they couldn't get through it. Now, a second attempt began a decade later. And again, equipment continuously broke, tools were lost, and construction was yet again abandoned. Now, the road was still incomplete by the 1980s. Renewed plans popped back up, and this time the layout called for a complete leveling of Elf Hill. But the construction company, when they arrived, things once again started to act up. Now, workers, whether they believed in elves or not, refused to go near the rock. Local TV media tried to report on the story, but they claimed that the cameras stopped working any time they were directed toward the rock. Media attention grew, and so did support for that rock. These days, media requests to Iceland's Road Development Division, the Icelandic Road and Coastal Administration, always result in a stock reply. Quote, It will not answer the question of whether the company employees do or do not believe in elves and hidden folk because opinions differ greatly on this and it tends to be rather personal of a matter. Now it also states, that issues have been settled by delaying construction projects so that the elves can, at a certain point, move on. When a road between that city that I can't pronounce in Reykjavik was finally built, they swerved it around Elf Hill Rock and left that rock untouched. So they tried many, many times to move this rock, and it just would not happen. That's pretty amazing. The the elves were breaking stuff, like literally breaking stuff. Yeah. They're like, get away from our rock. Exactly. We've got a GoFundMe page for this rock. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) That that was their home, and they said, nope, ain't happening. Yeah, that's right. So, in the same grounds, I've got another one, yet another rock that was an elf rock. Now, there's a former member of Icelandic Parliament, Arnie Johnson. And he was driving on an icy, desolate road in southwest Iceland in January of 2010 when he lost control of his SUV. His vehicle went off of a cliff, overturned, and came to rest near a 30-ton boulder 130 feet from the highway. His SUV was destroyed, but Johnson didn't sustain any major injuries. He attributes his luck to this boulder, or more specifically, the elves that called the boulder home. 
Three years after Johnson's accident, a road was planned to go right over the boulder. Johnson wouldn't have it, and he went to... Yeah, good luck. I'm looking at it, and I can't. Yeah. I can't pronounce it. I got, uh, I got nothing. He went to a, a person at the elf school for help. Now, he said he had this person who's a specialist in the affairs of elves uh, to come look at the boulder. Johnson told the Icelandic Review that she said it was incredible that she had never met three generations of elves in the same boulder before. So Johnson asked her if the elves would be content with a move, and she said they would under two conditions. One, the boulder be moved to grass so the elves could have sheep, and two, the, quote, window side of the boulder had to face the ocean. Johnson found these terms agreeable and arranged for the rock to be moved, all 30 tons of it, to a location near Johnson's home via a ferry. Now, he never disclosed how much it cost to move the boulder, but his beliefs were strong enough to move tons of solid stone. Johnson used his own finances to move the boulder, and he's no longer in politics. So there's two times in modern day that the belief in elves has changed plans for road construction or something. So what do you guys think? Do you think that all of these and all the more that we didn't touch are just legends and stories? Or do you think legitimately there is a fey realm that we just don't really know of anymore? Yeah. I mean, is it a is it an easy way to explain um bad luck, disease, illness, misfortune? Um or is there something to it? Right. You know, is it are there creatures out there that can you know, cause cause pain and suffering in the human world or alleviate it and make things you know, bountiful and good. Mm -hmm. We'd love to hear what you think. And I'm sure we're going to hear some stories of some fairies and fae that we left out. Um, but yeah, it's been a pretty long, long episode Yeah, <laughs> and we knew it would be, and we hope you've all have enjoyed it. Um, so please, um, go and check out our sponsor for tonight's show. Hello fresh. We would appreciate it. Let them know that, uh, that the graveyard sent you. Um, go check out our website, graveyardpodcast.com. Uh, there you can find out more about Adam and myself. You can listen to the show, find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise, and you can become a patron. And thank you to everyone who has donated to the show. Um, please go and rate and review us on iTunes. It is the easiest way for people to find us. And it, it moves us up the charts a little bit so that we're much easier to locate. Um, look for us on social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Go, if you haven't already, get into our Facebook group. We are growing every single day. Adam and I see new members in the group. And, I mean, when I open Facebook now, it's 90% Graveyard Tales group. I it's mean, way it I'm seeing be. it. And, uh, and we think that is fantastic. And, and 
the the jokes and the discussions and the personal stories it's fantastic so you guys keep them coming so uh we hope you enjoyed the show Mm -hmm. and until next time we'll save you a seat in the graveyard see you soon Mm -hmm.